found what I was looking for, found everlasting life, and I was so in love with the Lord. One day, and it was, I've been a Christian about two weeks, I think, I, with all the determination I had, I just said, Lord, I give you everything I've got. Now, I'd already given him my life, and everything, but this day, it was absolutely everything. I said, if, I give you this business. And I don't know if it was one or two days later, but a gentleman came into my store and he says, I've bought the store this property, you're out of here. Oh, wow. He kicked me out, and I had no means of income. You know, guys, we've been doing this uh, cod past. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep that, actually. We're not starting over. (laughs) We've been doing this podcast for a while, uh, and it just occurred to me that people may have no idea who we are. They're just hearing our voices but, well, Ray, obviously. Yep, right, yep, yep, yep. We know, we know who that voice is. <laughs> but, uh, and I am, of course, your lovely Arab cherub, the nice, high, squeaky, quality voice, the best voice. But who are you? Uh, I'm Mark Spence. <laughs> <laughs> no, generally speaking, the incredibly masculine, manly, Hispanic voice comes from Oscar Navarro. Oh, okay. Oscar <laughs> did not take his meds today. Mark Spence. Yes, sir. I celebrate uh, 20 years of being with the ministry um, tomorrow. Oh, really? Ray remembers three of the years. <laughs> so, so you're assuming that you're going to make it till tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, um, what, what a blessing, though, to be a partaker. Really just watching what God has done. You know, it reminds me of the story of the elephant and the mouse crossing the uh, rickety bridge. And with every step, the bridge is rocking uh, back and forth till we get to the other side. They get to the other side, and the mouse jumps up and down and says, "We really rocked that bridge, didn't we?" <laughs> right. Well, that's kind of like what we're experiencing here at Living Waters. Yeah. We get to jump up and down and saying, "Wow, look what we're no God's done such an amazing work mm. uh, here through Living Waters. It's just a blessing to uh, to see the work He's done." Good that's to have you, Mark. Mark. Really yeah, is. Mark. Twenty years. Yeah, I'm coming on. Well, 19 this coming January. You started before me. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I, I, it reminds me, Mark, too, of the analogy about the uh, tortoise on a fence post. You know, if you see a tortoise on a fence post, you know it didn't put itself there. Right. And, That's true, and that reminds me of the story of the flea and the whale. <laughs> the flea and the whale. Uh, I'm sure Oscar has one, too. But uh, Yeah, the taco and the donkey lettuce. And a cow or something. Well, Mark, we actually know that it's your 20-year anniversary, and so we pitched in and got you something um, as a A trash can? No, 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 no. It's an evidence Bible. An evidence Bible. <laughs> Those are hard to come by, by the way. Yeah, they are. We, we get more in. I was thinking of that. giving them a Hell's Best Kept Secret CD with, <laughs> without, without the, the cover. Deck. Wait a minute. Without this evidence Bible is completely <laughs> That's blank. the one I got from overseas. Wait, is that? Oh, that's the blank one. Yeah, what's your language? Watch your mouth. Yeah. That's good. Well, uh, so Ray, today we're going to be talking about something interesting. A con with tentment. tentment. Yes, living in a tent like Paul. <laughs> he was happy in being happy tent. about it. I really wonder how many times you've done that con with science. Knowledge. Yeah, con is with sleep? science is knowledge. It, it's actually a wonderful truth when people understand that God's given them a conscience, and it means with knowledge you've got an inner knowledge of right and wrong, an intuitive understanding of, of God's law written upon your heart. Yeah, which is kind of frightening for a sinner to realize that God's done that little sneaky thing and put what's right and wrong right within him. We have to figure out what tentment means with tentment. Anyway, we'll figure uh, it out. It's a, tent, it's a tent made out of I'll mint. check the etymology. It means oh. to be satisfied. Tentment. <clears throat> yeah. Satisfaction. Okay. Makes sense. So we're going to talk about that today. Look, to me, 
this is one of those. Look to me. Yeah, look should to be me. glorifying the look. Wow, look to me. There, cherub. Uh, yeah, contentment. Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and actually, I can't remember if he touched on this one, but I would dare to say. Got another that, book on memory too. Yeah, you about your your memory craving. <laughs> but but guys, I would say really this is one of those today in Christianity. You, you, you'll hear talk about lust and about you know covetousness and about you know anger and all these different kinds of sins. But contentment is not one that we typically hear people talk about. You know what? I was going to bring WD forty for that squeaking <laughs> chair, Oscar. It's like, Mark's squeaking here. chair that he gave we me. We should have some around here. Mark it's did it's that his too. knees. <laughs> so for those that can't see what's happening, uh, Oscar's chair is very squeaky. That's the question, helpful. why is my chair squeaky, Mark? Because I took it away from Ray's and I put it here so he wouldn't squeak, and then I got sick of it and put it there. Nice. So it's making its way over to You're easy. You're so altruistic, Mark. Better not come over here, Oscar. <laughs> so, but contentment, really, it is one of those things that you don't hear people being uh, called on a lot. You know, you don't hear many pastors preaching on this from the pulpit. Yeah. But it is one of those things that is very important to be a part of our character as Christians. And so I want to talk about that today. Contentment is, uh, man, it's huge. And I, I'm convicted about it myself. I have a lot to say, but I'll kick it over to one of you. Well, how, let's, I think it's important to, to define what contentment is. How would you, how would you describe contentment? Well, I would describe it as the way Scripture describes it. Uh, we can't go past First Timothy chapter six, one, sorry, five through to about mm, fifteen, when we're talking about contentment. It begins with godliness with contentment is great gain, and that portion of Scripture begins by saying there are certain men that say um, godliness means is a means of gain. Sorry, godliness means of gain. But he said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Brought nothing into the world, and certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing. We should be content. And then it says what the problem is, the thing that destroys contentment is this. But those who desire to be rich Mm. fall into temptation and a sneer and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then it says the love of money is a root of evil. Now, the reason I read that is because I want to share a testimony with you. Before I was a Christian, I had a very successful business that was kind of exploding, and I remember the day... Uh, you were making dynamite? No, it was, it was making, I was making money. Um, and it was good money. It was easy money. I was making leather jackets for people uh, while they wait, believe it or not. And they had to wait three months because that was so much, so much demand. But a retired businessman came into my store, and you could see it was booming, and he just said to me this, I'm retired, very successful. And he said to me, and this is going to be a curveball for you guys, he just said these words, stay small. Mm. And I took it to heart because I knew what he was saying because even as a non-Christian, I could see the futility of chasing after money. I thought, if I make a lot of money, my surfing buddies are going to hate me and I just love them and I'd hate them to hate me and be jealous of me because I drove around in a fancy car. And so I determined that. So when he said that, I thought, okay, I'm not going to get big because I could have employed people, got a, got a uh, factory, got machines and pumped out those jackets and made big money and also had union problems, financial liquidity and all the things that come with it. So I decided to stay small. And then I came to Christ, found what I was looking for, found everlasting life, and I was so in love with the Lord. One day, and it was, I've been a Christian about two weeks, I think, I, with all the determination I had, I just said, Lord, I give you 
everything I've got. And I'd already given him my life, and everything, but this day, it was absolutely everything. I said, if, I give you this business. And I don't know if it was one or two days later, but a gentleman came into my store and he says, I've bought the store, this property, you're out of here. Oh, wow. He wow. kicked me out, and I had no means of income. I had to go home and start working with a sewing machine at home, put a notice up in front of the house saying, leather jackets made to order for people. Mm. And then the city came around and said, you can't do that. That's an industrial machine. You can't do that in a residential area. And you were like, don't have a cow. That's <laughs> it, so don't have a cow. So then I moved from there six miles into the heart of the city because it's the only place I get a place to have a business. And that's when I started opening up preaching. So my whole mm. life changed wow. because of that guy that came in and said, stay small. Wow. And, and since that time, I've been utterly content as a Christian because of this one thing. This one key is give God everything, total surrender, mm. and don't love money. Wow. Because you cannot serve God and mammon. So if you get that, what scriptures are saying, O oh, you man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. And it's actually saying, stay as a witness, because Jesus had a, uh, a good witness before Pontius Pilate. Be like that. Yeah. And that's the key. And it's the same in marriage. You're not your own. Once you're married, you're brought with a price in a sense. Mm. And, and that's the key to marriage. And the reason so many marriages fail, and it's the, it's the seed of divorce, is when you hold on to selfishness. Mm. That's why there's divorce within marriage. And it's the same in the Christian life. If you hold on to selfishness, you want to do your own thing, make your own money, make a lot of money, and seek after that, you're not going to find everything in the Lord that mm. you could find. One last illustration, and it's really dumb. It's a story, a kid's story, of a little uh, train called Tootle. It's very famous. He'd keep coming down this hill and looking across these fields and seeing little lambs and ponies leap about, and he longed to be free from the tracks. So one day he determined he was going to jump. He jumped, and all he got was disaster Hmm. because a train isn't designed to find freedom leaping about like a lamb or a pony, but he finds freedom within the confines of the track. And that's what Jesus said. Come to me, all you that labor and labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon mm-hmm. you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest to your souls. So when you're yoked as a slave, purchased with a price as your reasonable service, then you'll find the freedom and liberty that comes to being a Christian. Wow, it's so awesome. good, Ray. Yeah, there's such freedom that comes with, with contentment, like, like you said about being on that track. And what you cited there in 1 Timothy 6 is so good. And the balance of that is there are times when God blesses certain believers with riches. I mean, Paul goes on to say, instruct those who are rich, right, to to not put their hope in uncertainty of riches, but be ready to share, willing to give. Uh, And and so it's beautiful when Christians aren't seeking to be rich. They're just seeking to be faithful, diligent, hardworking. The Lord blesses them. And then these Christians become a means of supporting God's work. They have an eternal mind. Right. This isn't even um, directed at the rich. It's directed at those who would be rich. Mm, yeah. Those who desire to be rich. That's what steals your liberty. Exactly. That's what steals your It's freedom. a desire. Yeah. Just like we say that money isn't the root of all evil, as people mistakenly say. Right. It's the love of money. money. Right. So, you know, <clears throat> this, is, this is a really... Oh, boy, this is so convicting. There's a book called The Art of Divine Contentment by Thomas Watson. Um, He's a Puritan from what, 16th century? uh, Yeah, he was a Puritan. And uh, just this is so convicting. This this book is one I got after a friend recommended it. And I want you to listen to what he says about discontentment. He says, discontent 
is a fretting temper which dries the brains, wastes the spirits, corrodes and eats out the comfort of life. Discontent makes a man not enjoy what he does possess. A drop or two of vinegar will sour a a whole glass of wine. Just so let a man have the affluence and all worldly comforts, a drop or two of discontent will embitter and poison all. Mm. Wow. And then listen, he went on to say this. Murmuring is no better than mutiny in the heart. It is a rising up against God. When the sea is rough and unquiet, it casts forth nothing but foam. Just so when the heart is discontented, it casts forth the foam of murmuring, anger, and impatience. Then get this. He says, murmuring is nothing else but the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. That is so heavy and convicting. Discontent. Is uh, murmuring and murmuring is nothing else but the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. And uh, as we often say, the heart of the problem is the problem of the yeah, heart. Someone 100%. said that, I don't know who, but we repeated all Sounds that. like me. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody wants to be content, would it make sense then to start with gratitude for what you currently have? Mm. You know, you start breaking down every facet of your body from your eye. It's like the person who said, man, I, I wish I had better shoes. Until he saw the guy with no feet. Yeah. Right? right? So it's, I wish I had some really nice sunglasses until he saw the guy that was blind. Well, the guy with no feet, when he saw a guy without legs, that was just... Uh, <laughs> That's right. Oh, and the guy with no legs, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the idea is to just kind of break down continually, regularly, all that we have. And this is actually the will of God in Christ Jesus, that we give thanks in all things. Right. And as we thank God for all things, and not just quick to scarf down our food quickly grab that item that we've always wanted, but take inventory. You find yourself not really having that room for breaking that 10th commandment of yeah. covetousness. I, what think, do you, I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's two ways in which um, people in the world currently pursue satisfaction. The first is sort of the Buddhist way of looking at things, which is to love nothing. Um, because when you are dis when you are disconnected from the world around you, then when something is taken away from you, you can't be unsatisfied. That's a Buddhist mindset to love nothing. Um, The cultural mindset that most people, I think, go by is more of a consumeristic mindset, which is you are constantly under the notion that satisfaction and contentment is just around the corner. I mean, that is literally what it means to be an American, right? Think about our, our, our big theme, the pursuit of happiness. Think about that. To be an American is not to be happy, it's to pursue happiness. And we all live with that idea that like true happiness and satisfaction is just around the corner. Just when I meet my spouse and get married, I'll be happy. Just a little more. Just a little bit more. Just when I buy the house, just when I have kids, just when my retirement account, this, just when I experience this vacation. There's like satisfaction is always around the corner. We are created, our entire lived experience is designed to make us pursue satisfaction. But for anybody who's ever gotten what they pursued, the career, the job, the family, what do we know? We know that that satisfaction is short-lived. We know that it doesn't truly satisfy our souls. And I love C.S. Lewis on this point. Here's what he, what he says. Because ultimately what he, what, what he says is that if satisfaction is not found in this world, then maybe... Maybe what we really need for satisfaction is found uh, in another world. Here's, here's the full quote, quote. Creatures are not born 
with desires and less satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Mm. And if, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy me, but only to arouse, to suggest something more real. If that is so, then I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for a more true country, mm. which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Wow. And that certainly reminds me of, of Jesus when in John 6, he says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, his followers say to him, give us this bread. We want this. And you have to think like they are, they are hungry. They are spiritually hungry. And what Jesus is offering them is spiritual bread. And he says, I am the bread of life. Mm. Whoever comes to, to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what's my main point? Is not to deny loves, but not to put our hope in satisfaction is just around the corner, rather to eat of the bread of life, mm. to know Jesus as our one source of satisfaction. Amen. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I think we miss that oftentimes, that, that Jesus is the ultimate source of satisfaction for believers. And when we're not satisfying ourselves with Christ, and I'm not talking about this in the draw card thing what people use with salvation, come to Jesus, he'll make you happy, he'll fill right, all your right, need, right. he'll make you content. But as believers, we know that once we've tasted of Christ, we have this acquired uh, taste for him, this appetite that's meant to be satisfied, and it's the only healthy appetite. And just like in the physical, when people don't satisfy themselves in the physical with physical sustenance, like, I mean, like a normal diet, they end up reverting to substitution. Mm -hmm. You guys remember that uh, movie or book, Alive?, that rugby team that crashed oh, yeah, up yeah, in the Andes, yeah, yeah. and, and yep. they ended up oh, yes. ended up eating the passengers that died yeah. because they were so desperate. They reverted to substitution, mm -hmm. and we're not satisfying ourselves with Christ on, in so many areas as believers. Um, right? He's a friend that sits closer than a brother. He's referred to as our first love. In uh, His presence, His fullness of joy at His right hand, pleasures evermore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're called to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven by serving him and doing his will. So all of those things, whether it's uh, you know friendship or it's relationship or it's pleasure or it's treasure, they're all found in the person of Christ. And when we're not satisfying ourselves with him, we revert to substitution in the physical. We start looking for those things in unhealthy ways in the physical. Yeah. Amen. You know? What will a hungry man eat? <clears throat> Anything if he's hungry enough, yeah. right? The yeah. best seasoning is hunger, mm -hmm. right? So we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I think that as we get a glimpse of where we've been and what we've done and we pause long enough 
yeah. to, to look upon the old man. And then we take a glimpse upon Jesus. We, we don't want to leave that place. And we hunger and we thirst more and more for righteousness and to live a life that is godly, you know, yeah. in Christ Jesus. Does it grieve you guys that sin can tempt you? Oh, boy. To no end. It's a, it's a, it's a horror. Yeah. You think, look what I have in Christ, this treasure in earthen vessels. Down further in um, in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, it says, probably the most, prof- arguably the most profound words of Scripture, uh, who, in whom only dwells immortality. Mm. Speaking of Jesus, he's the only one in whom dwells immortality. That's where our faith is centered. That's why billions of people seek after God, because they get the revelation. They're in death. God is life itself. Somehow we've got to get to the life of God. Mm. Only in Jesus we have immortality, treasure in earthen vessels, and yet sin and all its filth can turn our heads. Mm-hmm. It can just mm-hmm. we're tempted to do you know look at that which we know we shouldn't. Yeah. And it's because the devil is a liar. Yeah. And then we're just gonna say, Get behind me, Satan. Well, it, it's disillusionment, you know, when we are so caught up in sinful lures that are fading mm-hmm. and we forget the, the treasure that is Christ. You know, it, it's it's so stupid and yet, you know, we end up coming in our senses. And Mark, I, I like what you talked about, that satisfaction. There's that proverb that says, to the satisfied soul, even the honeycomb is loathsome, but to the famished soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Mm. And I thought of that, you know, when you're really full, like you've eaten to the full. I was thinking of canned ham on Saturday night. Remember, we were texting oh, all each the other, food stuff. and we send pictures of food to each other. And I send what we were having in Kansas. <laughs> ah, yeah, see, I'm so full that I like, don't even want to look at my picture. Right, but that's how it is. I mean, there are times when even my favorite dessert is is loathsome because I'm so full I can't even fathom eating. Except baklava. Except always space for baklava. Oscar the baklava snob. <laughs> but when it's, uh, but when when you're famished. Every bitter thing is sweet, like yes. the thing that you wouldn't even des- desire. You might entertain it because you're just so hungry, you know. And so, so how, do we, how do you suggest that somebody who has maybe been distracted and is trying to feed their soul with things of the world, what, what practices can we apply in our daily lives to find, to, to eat of the bread of life, to, to be satisfied in Christ? What, what does that practically look like for you guys? Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Well, I think, I think Mark nailed it earlier when he talked about giving thanks. Right? And Paul says, giving thanks always for all things. I mean, that, that touches everything, all, always, like ev- you know, at every point in time, and for all things, for everything. How in the world is that possible? 
I think it's possible by reminding ourselves of what we truly deserve in place of what we have. And what we all truly deserve, obviously, is the eternal flames of hell. Mm. So anything less painful than the eternal flames of hell, which is everything, is in reality an undeserved blessing. Mm. And so that's how we can give thanks always for all things. I mean, right, you're, you're sick, you're lying in a hospital bed, you're racked with pain. Lord, instead of this, I should be engulfed eternally in the flames of hell, and I'm not. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> right? You're stuck in traffic. Oh, how horrible, right? Instead of being in this traffic that's moving at a snail's pace, I should be engulfed in the eternal flames of hell. Thank you, Lord. Whatever, you can apply that to everything. And that leads to gratitude. Mm. And you start realizing, and aside from you know anything physical that I might have in place of what others have. Ray, you wrote this thing years ago, um, Lord, I have a problem. Oh, that's right. But let me pray for those that are less fortunate than me. That's how it starts. Yes. And then it goes through all the things. And in the end of it, it says, strange, Lord, I can't seem to remember what my problem was. Oh, that's good. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) And I love that because, you know, you could could see that that we are blessed. And on, but aside from everything physical, if God never allowed us to have one thing that's a, a blessing in life, which he obviously has in so many ways, he's, he's, given us everlasting life. This is all going to end. We're going to be with him forever where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. And uh, I, I explode with gratitude as I look at a fried egg. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I will sit before breakfast and I haven't even given thanks, but I give thanks before, during and after a meal. Mm. I give thanks with every bite. I'm so grateful yeah. for the, the miracle of an egg. It's That's why you egg. don't chew gum. Yeah. You never get through it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But Behind it all, that's just the little glimmer of light is the, is the shadow of the cross. It's always there. Amen. Thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift. And that's it's the cross that keeps me from going back to the world because I have to tread the blood of Christ underfoot to get there. Yeah. Ooh. I, I, would, I mean, do, do we have time? I'd like to read it, what Ray wrote here. I have it before yeah, me. Father, absolutely. I have a problem. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, it goes like this. Father, I have a problem. It's weighing heavy on me, and it's all I can think about night and day. Before I bring it to you in prayer, I suppose I should pray for those who are less fortunate than me, those in this world who have hardly enough food for this day, and for those who don't have a roof over their heads at night. I also pray for families who've lost loved ones in sudden death, for parents whose children have leukemia, for the many people who are dying of brain tumors, for the hundreds of thousands who are laid waste with other terrible cancers for people whose bodies have been suddenly shattered in car wrecks, Mm. for those who are lying in hospitals with agonizing burns over their bodies, whose faces have been burned beyond recognition. I pray for people with emphysema, whose eyes fill with terror as they struggle for every breath merely to live, for those who are tormented beyond words by irrational fears, for the elderly who are racked up with the pains of aging, whose only escape is death. I pray for people who are watching their loved ones fade before their eyes through the grief of Alzheimer's disease, for the many thousands who are suffering the agony of AIDS, for those who are in such despair that that they are contemplating suicide, for the people who are tormented by the demons of alcoholism and drug addiction. I pray for children who have been abandoned by their parents, for those who are sexually abused, for wives held in quiet despair, beaten, abused by cruel, drunken husbands, for people whose minds have been destroyed by mental disorders, for those who have lost everything in floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes, 
I pray for the blind who never see the faces of the ones they love, nor the beauty of a sunrise, for those whose bodies are deformed by painful arthritis, for the many whose lives will be taken from them today by murderers, by those wasting away on their deathbeds and hospitals. Most of all, I cry out for the millions who don't know the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, for those who in a moment of time will be swept into hell by the cold hand of death and find to their utter horror the unspeakable vengeance of eternal fire. They will be eternally damned to everlasting punishment. Oh God, I pray for them. Strange. I can't seem to remember what my problem was. <laughs> in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Made <laughs> me depressed. Oh, Ray, you wrote that a long time ago. Yeah, I like that you forgot when you first brought it up. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about oh, that. Right. <laughs> Things well, only break. No, let's not get into does. that. Ray's written books he's forgotten <laughs> about, literally. He, he forgot that I came into this building with him. <laughs> well, yeah, questionable. both of us remember you didn't, Mark, but we won't get into that now. Um, so, oh, it's so good. Guys, you know, if you think about it, Satan's tactics haven't really changed. You go back to the Garden of Eden, right? The first temptation he hit mankind with. And discontent was at the heart of it. Remember what he said to Adam and Eve. Has God said you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? Mm. Right? God said they couldn't eat of one. And he made that one seem like you, you can't eat of, of even that one, of all of them. Like he's withholding something from you. And God had given Adam and Eve dominion over the entire planet. He had given them every fruit and and vegetable, everything that exists in the world today. And he said they could eat freely, freely. Mm-hmm. Didn't put any restrictions on them. Didn't put any guidelines like only on this day you can eat from these trees and you can only eat this much and freely. He said, you can't eat of this one tree. And he made it seem like it was the biggest thing in the world. You know, he gave them dominion over every inch of the planet. Mark, I don't know if when, when you went to Oaxaca with our church, we went, each of us led on a separate year. You didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you are hallucinating. Anyway, you did you guys go and see uh, that big, the, the widest tree in the world? I don't know. We I don't remember seeing it. We went to the Mayan ruins. Okay. But I don't remember the tree. <clears throat> this was called like Del Artul something. Hmm. It was like 270-something feet in circumference, something crazy like that. And I looked at that tree. I'm thinking, you know, imagine the, the, the tree of the, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil was twice the size of that tree. This is a large, the, the widest tree, not the highest, but the widest, but it's really high too. But I doubled those numbers. I'm writing a book and I, I talked about this. Imagine the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was twice the size of that tree, like 600 something in circumference or 400 or whatever. And it would still be invisible from space. Invisible compared to the entire planet that God gave Adam and Eve dominion over. And yet it was that one thing that they became discontent about that they couldn't have, mm. and they decided to disobey God mm. over. And I think that, that's how it is. You guys remember Haman, right? Uh, when, when Esther had called him to a banquet, and then the second one, he was a guy that, um, that uh, couldn't stand Mordecai. Right? He was a Jew. He wouldn't bow to him. He was the only guy that wouldn't bow to him. And so he ends up uh, getting so riled up one day. In fact, the queen had invited him to a banquet, and then she invited him a second time. And he's thinking, oh, look at this. Just me and the king. Right? She was setting him up because he wanted to kill all the Jews because of Mordecai. All the Jews. He wanted to wipe out an entire people group because this one guy wouldn't bow to him. <laughs> so the second time, she, she invited him to the first banquet, and then she says, well, come to the next banquet. That's where she was really going to 
going to kind of bring the, the you know, hammer down on him. So he leaves, it says, and he was just full of joy, so like excited, the queen. And then he says, until he saw Haman sitting in the gate, and it just like riled him up. So then he goes home, he calls his wife Zeresh, all his friends, it says, and then he sat down and he began to recount to them all of, all of his, his, his great things. He tells them about how he'd been elevated in the kingdom, uh, how the queen had invited him twice. He talked about all his possessions. He talked about the number of his children. And then he said this. He said, but all of this avails me nothing so long as I see Haman wow. seated in the gate. And that, to me, is the epitome of discontentment. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes you can give people a pass and maybe say, well, like, for example, these are kids. They really don't realize what they have. They're just spoiled. They don't understand the significance of what they have. But this guy called his friends and his wife and recounted for them everything he had, very conscious of, of how blessed he was. But he says, all of this avails me nothing because of this one thing. That's so human nature, though, isn't it? You can give a kid a thousand M&Ms and then give a kid next to him a thousand and one, oh, and it's all over. Right, right. You comparing know? the cookie calves, who gets yes. the bigger one. But, but, and, and that transfers over, right? Because Spurgeon talks about how if, if you're not content with what you have, you won't be content if it was multiplied so many times Right, over. that's exactly right. You know, contentment is satisfaction in, in, in where you're at. And then when you are blessed, you enjoy it and, and it's measured. And then Paul talked about that. He said, in whatever state I am, in Philippians 4, in whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. I know how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the verse that's often mis- you know, yes. misquoted and, or misunderstood in the right context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means I can be content in every circumstance mm-hmm. in life because God, Christ strengthens me to do that. And I've learned. He learned contentment. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Amen. Yeah, we don't, we don't know what we want or what we need. There was this uh, non-believer. I, I once heard the story about this non-believer in New York who was a beat writer, and she ended up uh, circumstantially having all these friends in film and music that were nobodies when they became friends, and then they all blew up, become you know uh, New York Times bestsellers and in block, uh, blockbuster movies and selling out you know stadiums. They just a group of friends of hers just became really famous. And she was observing them in their life, and she's writing about them, and she says something to the effect of, like, they became more and more depressed the more and more success that they had. And then she said something like this. Mind you, this is a non-believer that's stumbling upon truth. She says, you know, one of the worst things that God could do is to give you everything you ever wanted. Can't have everything. God, where would I put it? (laughs) That's from one of the world's funniest one-liners. But yeah, I think the the sad thing about people pursuing something is when they get it, they've got nothing else to pursue. Their purpose for existence suddenly disappears. Mm -hmm. When someone wants uh, to be rich and famous and they become rich and famous, but they're still the same person, there's nothing in which to put their hope. And so life takes on purposelessness and death is coming for them and they've got nothing to strive for. And if you listen closely, you'll hear this often from people who are successful. I mean, Ronda Rousey was this incredibly successful MMA fighter and she's got this quote when she won her first title. She said she went home that night and never felt more depressed in her life, never felt more empty. Uh, Kevin Durant more recently won, you know, he was a scoring champion of the NBA and he won the, the big chip champion of the world. 
And he, he was quoted as saying afterwards that he, it wasn't anything that he expected, that it was unsatisfying to him to get what he wanted. Wow. That's nothing. Um, there's there's the, the Olympic, I can't remember his name, we all know him as a household name, but he uh, won 27 or 23 gold medals. Michael oh, Phelps. Michael Phelps. Mm. And then tried to commit suicide. Right. Wow. And yeah. I mean, you th- <laughs> you 23, that's enough. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he just thought it's not. Yeah. Well, Chad Williams said the same thing when he got his trident when he became a Navy SEAL. Yeah. He said he got that trident, he thought that was the apex, and then he went home and he goes, I've never felt more alone. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. is, is there a lonelier moment in a man's life when he climbs up the corporate ladder, gets to the top, and he realizes there's nobody else there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're content in Christ, when you're satisfied in Christ, everything else in life becomes dessert. Is that desert or dessert? <laughs> How do you spell that? Desert. <laughs> and then, but, but I mean, it's like, what I mean by that is you have the main course, you're satisfied in Jesus. Anything he allows in your life oh. that's a blessing like that, it's a dessert. It's that's like, good. wow, I, I can enjoy that. It's, it's great. It's, and, uh, and, you know, I like the saying that talks about it's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. That's good, yep. And uh, I, I want to read this, this really powerful uh, uh, Let's try and end on Psalm 23. Oh, yeah. I like that one. Uh, this is good. This is by E.C. Willard. Uh, he wrote the following. He said, Some time ago there appeared in a newspaper a cartoon showing two fields divided by a fence. Both fields were about the same size, and each had plenty of the same kind of green, a grass, green and lush. In each field there was a mule, and each mule had his head through the fence, eating grass from the other mule's pasture. All around each mule... In his own field was plenty of grass, yet the grass in the other field seemed greener or fresher, although it was harder to get. (laughs) And in the process, the mules were caught in the wires and were unable to extricate themselves. The cartoonist put just one word at the bottom of the picture. Discontent. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? Isn't it? Like yeah. they, they've got their fields, they've got, but no, I got to get that. And in the process, you get entangled in all Now, there's a things. saying, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, but the water bill is higher as well. Mark, look, this, you look is, this is written down right there. Really? Right under that. <laughs> or if you look closer, it's actually artificial turf. Yeah. Or the fence is there for a reason, right? Yeah. It's electrified fence. <laughs> yeah, th- so, there's just, man, there's so much, there's so much stuff on this and it's important for us to recognize the significance of this because when we are content then we're free we're free to honor the lord and to serve the lord and to love others and to be healthy right. you know i mean you get you get men with the most beautiful wives and they're going out and committing adultery you get wives with the most affluent men who are supplying their needs and providing for them and you know and they're going out and committing adultery it just shows that you know, unless you have the satisfaction that's found in Christ, you're always going to be, you know, looking for... You know, I always use that as an example. Uh, Hugh Grant, he had committed adultery on his wife, Elizabeth Hurley, who was a supermodel, mm. gorgeous in the 80s, left her and committed uh, adultery with a prostitute who looked homeless at the time, right? I mean, we're, we're never satisfied with what we have unless we look to Christ, right? Yeah, we'll never be content that we've covered the whole issue of contentment, so we better begin to I'm not content with no. <laughs> We're not done, Ray. Okay, I have, I have just a couple more questions. He has just right. 15 more verses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, contentment then, this is A.W. Pink. He says, contentment then is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the soul's enjoyment of that peace 
that passes all understanding. It is the outcome of my will being brought into subjection to the divine will. It is a blessed assurance that God does all things well and is even now making all things work together for my ultimate good. Wow. Pink pink should be red. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've heard the saying, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Wow. And uh, I say also everything minus Christ equals nothing. That was nice. That's well. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord is my shepherd, right? Yeah. The Lord is my shepherd. I the shall not one. want. That sums it all up. If he is your shepherd, you're yielded to him, you hear his voice, you won't want. Mm-hmm. You'll be satisfied in him. Amen. We know, friends, you're not fully satisfied. So I'm going to close with one final <laughs> thing. <laughs> this is really cool. Um, this is, uh, uh, yeah, Ali Hafid. Years ago, Russell Conwell told a story about a certain man named Ali Hafid who owned a very large farm that had orchards, grain fields, and gardens and was a wealthy, contented man. One day, a wise man from the East told the farmer all about diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. Ali Hafid went to bed that night a poor man, poor because he was discontented. Craving a mine of diamonds, he sold his farm to search for the rare stones. He traveled the world over, finally becoming so poor, broken, and defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased Ali Hafid's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. As his camel put its nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the sands of the stream. He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the diamond mine of Golconda, the most magnificent mine in all history. Had Ali Hafid remained at home and dug in his own garden, then instead of death in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds. Mm. Oh, mm. that gives me the chills. Mark and Ray weren't paying attention. To I was paying attention very closely because I told that story at the end of uh, Evangelical Initiative or how to find God's will in your life, and I didn't have the details of people's names, but you gave Oh, there it is. And I don't know who wrote this, but it, it, I found it a while ago. It's powerful. Ray, I judged you. You did? Yeah, I judged <laughs> you. Did. You didn't know what I was talking about. I was thinking to myself, Golconda, Golconda Diamond yeah. Mines. Yeah. That, that's the largest mine in, in South Africa, I think. Yeah, and isn't it crazy? This guy went out searching for it, and it was in his, on his property. In his backyard. In his backyard. In, See, in, I was content hearing it the first time. I didn't need to hear it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. Oh, friends, really, we, we, we could have gone on and on. There's so many you things did. to say. <laughs> Ray, are you discontent? Yes. Yeah. Oh, God's my contentment. Yeah. But uh, we hope you've been edified, encouraged, and stirred to determine to learn to be content like, like Paul did by remembering what you've been blessed with in Christ and resting in him and making him your true satisfaction in life. Thanks for joining us, livingwaters.com. We have so many resources there to bless you, edify you, encourage you, equip you uh, to reach the lost, which is why we want to be content so that we can be effective ambassadors for Jesus. Lord willing, we'll see you here next time. And if we don't, be content with that. We won't see them. (laughs) Oh. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline. 
California, Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina, Andrea from Anderson, Indiana, Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania, Lowell from Yakima, Washington, Don from Charleston, Illinois, John from Ford, Australia, Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.